Welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixing to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown, and I got a little bit of breaking news to kick off the show. I've got a co-host for the foreseeable future, and that man is the one and only Dan Sadik. Daniel! What's Ryan, good? what is up? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. So it's going to be... The Dan and Ryan tag team going forward on fixing the talk sports. You ready for this, man? Bro, I'm so ready, man. It's it's great. You've fucking you've built up a great pod. You've done so much great content. You cover everything. And that's what I love too. Like, you know, whether it's, you know, we have other pods that cover just football or basketball, like the cool zone, Foxborough Files, uh, the flagship pod that just mainly is football. You know, I love being a part of this now, and uh, I'm excited for the future. And uh, let's build. Let's get it. We are going to get it because today we're going off the grid. We're we're doing we're not talking previews. We're not talking recaps. We're talking what ifs. If you've been watching the Marvel series, what if uh, everyone seems to be spin zoning it into their own kind of unique brand of what if. So I feel like. It's fixing to talk sports time to do their own version of what ifs. And we're going to talk some what ifs in the sports world. Uh, so we've, we've cooked up between the, the two of us, a bunch of different scenarios. Like what if this happened instead of that, what actually happened? And we're just going to, we're just going to shoot the shit and we're going to see what we think would have happened if something in history had happened a little differently than it did. I love it. I love it. So we're going to kick things off with, I think one that is near and dear to many new England Patriots fans hearts. And that is the drew Bledsoe injury. What if drew Bledsoe never got injured in 2001? Now let's just, let's just set the table here. At the time, going into that 2001 season for Drew Bledsoe, he had just signed a 10-year, $103 million contract prior to 2001. That, at the time, was the largest contract in NFL history. He had been a pro bowler three of his first five seasons in New England and had led the team to the playoffs in four of his first six seasons including a Super Bowl run where they lost to the Packers in the 96 season. His quarterback record at the going into 2001 had actually worsened in four straight seasons going into 2001. His passing touchdown numbers had dropped for three straight years in a row. However, his completion percentage had increased in back-to-back years and the defense was really good back then, like really good. It ranked top in the top half of the league uh, in those five straight years. I think it was ranked in total defense. It was ranked 14, 9, 14, 7, and 17. So that's kind of just setting the table here. So, Dan, let me just toss it out to you. You, When you think of the Drew Bledsoe injury, what, what comes to mind first for you? One, I think about the just the sheer balls it took Belichick to make that kind of call in terms of sticking with Brady 
um, once it became apparent that they had something there with Brady and that there was going to have to be some sort of, you know, hard decision to be made. But when I think of that, that injury and that hit one, I mean, that wouldn't have, I don't think that would happen in today's game, obviously just the way it's played now, but you just got to think of sort of like a stars aligning type of moment. Right. And, and that's just how it, well, I, that's how I see it. You know, it was, you had, you just locked up this guy. He had taken you to a Super Bowl um, just in 96, obviously didn't pan out well, but you were going up against a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, you know, Drew Brees, uh, Brees, Bledsoe was the franchise at that point. He was their guy. Um, and I just think that it easily could have gone the way we're talking. If, you know, if that hit doesn't happen or if Brady doesn't look the way he does, um, when he was given that opportunity, I, I just think that it, it so easily could have gone in the other direction, right? If just another team had taken Brady, right? Then, then Bledsoe probably keeps his job because you don't have the next guy, um, in theory, but yeah, I just think of it as like a stars aligning type of moment. Um, when I think about that hit, because who knows if Brady would have got a real chance, um, down the line or if they would have had to move on from him and then who knows what his career looks like. But yeah, I, I just think of it as like everything fell into place at that moment. That was the defining moment probably for this Patriots dynasty was that hit on Bledsoe. Yeah. And it was a hell of a hit by Mo oh. Williams, I believe is the, the Jets linebackers name. Uh, he's, Bledsoe ended up suffering a collapsed lung and a hemothorax, which is basically blood pooling in your lungs uh, from that hit, which he, t- ha- he sat out the rest of the 2001 season and he never started or another game for the Pats uh, for the rest of his career. However, he did play that one game. So I'd be remiss. I, when I say the 2001 season, I mean the regular season. He did yeah. sub in for that AFC championship game when Brady went out briefly for an injury and Bledsoe played the role of hero in that game. Uh, but otherwise, did not start another game for the Patriots and ends up getting traded to Buffalo prior to the 2002 season where it's pretty much forgotten from that point on. So from if, if Bledsoe never gets hurt, right? Obviously, he goes on most likely to go, play out the rest of that 10-year contract because yep. he was on year one. Year one. It's insane. It really is. So that's another that's another nine years. So he's playing most likely. I mean, thing who knows what happens, right? But theoretically, he plays out the remainder of that contract. Maybe he gets traded a year or two before the end of it if things if Belichick decides to be a year ahead like he usually does. Right. But Bledsoe's probably playing the majority of that contract at the very least in New England. Mm-hmm. Which means uh, he is Brady never gets the chance, like you were saying. He never gets a chance with the Patriots. And if he stays with the Patriots as a backup, he almost becomes the team's version of Brian Hoyer before Brian Hoyer joins New England in 2009. Just think about that. Oh, yeah. It's- that's, that's wild to think that 
that would probably be the most likely scenario. There, yeah, right. I mean, that's that's probably most likely. You know, like we know Belichick is a guy that evaluates talent, like will replace a guy based on you know what he thinks. Like if if someone has progressed to, to the point where they have uh, earned uh, the right to start. I think there's a chance Brady could have hit that level where, you know, right. I mean, like if he is the greatest of all time, you know, I know there's a lot that, you know, goes into it, you know, between him and Belichick, it's not all Brady, it's not all Belichick, but I think at some point there is a chance in Brady's development that he, that Bill could have seen like, all right, this, this kid is special regardless of, you know, him taking the reins of of a injured Bledsoe or not. Um, there's a chance that that Brady shows enough throughout his development that maybe they end up trading Bledsoe at some point um, instead of holding on to him for, you know, for the bulk of that contract. But I think you're right in that the most likely scenario is that Brady ends up being a, you know, mainly a backup or ends up getting moved as a, as a trade asset and they hold on to Bledsoe and, you know, it, one of those things I think is huge to think about is do they win a Super Bowl with Bledsoe if that's the case? Is that defense that good in that era? I mean, it was a hell of a defense in that era. Is it good enough with Bledsoe? Do they still win one or two Super Bowls in that stretch? And I, I think that's a great point to bring up is because the, the history says, based off of Drew Bledsoe's tenure with the Patriots, that he was capable of getting the, him, getting the team to the Super Bowl, but he couldn't win the big one. I know he only had one chance at winning the big one, and he ran into Brett Favre. <laughs> uh, but he only made, they only really made one deep run in the postseason during his seven or eight years with New England. So most likely, if Bledsoe sticks around, plays out the majority of that contract, Maybe the Patriots get another Super Bowl run or two because the defense was pretty good. It wasn't historic, but it was really good. And if the way Bledsoe's career was going at that point, he was mixing in some 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 great seasons with some mass seasons. So if if you time it out where the great seasons match up with really like t- almost great seasons from the defense, then yeah, maybe you get a Super Bowl run mixed in somewhere in there. But I don't know if he ever wins the big one. I, I really don't think he does because he hadn't proven he could do it before. And I'm not sure that he was ever going to develop into that type of uh, like uh, game changer and that champion uh, if he had stayed out or stayed with New England long term. Uh, so I in that scenario... The Pats 2000s, early 2000s dynasty, that never happens. And then the sustained excellence of over two decades or nearly two decades where the Patriots just continually win the AFC East year after year after year, constantly making deep runs into the playoffs, Super Bowl appearances, AFC Conference Championship game appearances under Brady and Belichick, that never happens. And you can throw out, I think the biggest one is the 18-0 and season, the Super Bowl oh, yeah. loss in 2007. All the history that that season had, that never happens. So there's a lot of trickle-down effects 
if Drew Bledsoe never gets hurt and Brady never gets his chance. Now, like you said, Brady could have. Maybe Brady does get a chance somewhere down the line, but I just find it difficult to see where you, where, how you, how they could management and coaching could, could uh, make that decision where they've, they're now, they've got the quarterback with the, the largest contract in NFL history, and they're just going to bench him a couple of years in. Like, I, I just don't see how they could have made that decision. Yeah, it's it's tough. It, like, it really does feel like, yeah, it, it had to have been that hit, you know, that like that hit, you know, that could have been career ending at the time, you know, uh, like it just it's crazy to think, too, because if he doesn't get hit like Belichick, he, he only became head coach, you know, the year prior. So, like, think about you know, what Belichick ultimately could have gotten out of uh, the rest of Bledsoe's career um, just as a coach, right? Like we know, you know, he's just, that's his, uh, his name to fame is getting the most out of, out of guys and, and coaching up guys to the point where you squeeze out every last drop of talent they have. And I, that would have been interesting to see too, because like Belichick, you know, how, how would have he fared in general just, coming into his own with that team and developing um, and coaching up Bledsoe. But yeah, there's so many ripple effects that 07 year, no shot that happens. And just the explosion of the Patriots and what this whole, and we're getting like big brain and just like all, you know, all, all over the place here, but like that 20 year stretch for Boston sports in general, it almost feels like that Oh one, season just kicked it off for for all four sports i mean it just it it exploded and we were super young back then um but that is all we all we knew growing up was uh, titles and success and sports being just hyper and super important um in this area and if you don't have that kind of success and that kind those moments that you, you know you mentioned and highlighted it doesn't feel as big. doesn't feel as important. And, you know, that just goes into a, a different angle of it, of just like, you know, what those Patriots teams mean to the city of, you know, Boston and just Boston sports in general and Boston fandom. But it, yeah, you don't have that kind of success with Bledsoe. You might taste it, you know, like you said, he, you might get one or two runs, but what, the Patriots did with Brady and basically every year you're in it literally besides the uh, 08 season, you, you have a shot every single season. You know, you can't rule out a Super Bowl run with Brady uh, and Belichick throughout that, that whole stretch and that type of success. I don't think, you know, that's unique. You know, it's like, you, you don't see that that's generational success and with Bledsoe they would have been a good story a good team with a nice stretch but not not what we witnessed and I think that's abundantly clear and I like that you bring up the fact that it 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 probably permeates to just the uh the other sports teams in the Boston New England area as well I mean there's probably there's ripple effects outside of New England as well I mean if if Bledsoe never gets hurt. 
the Patriots probably don't make go to the Super Bowl that year, which means the greatest show on turf, the St. Louis Rams, they probably win it all that year because they had been dominant that year. And if they win that Super Bowl, maybe they win another two, or another one or two after that. And then I know that ultimately it was a business decision to move the Rams to Los Angeles, but if they had uh, two or three Super Bowls under their belt, maybe they don't move. Maybe management is more willing to work with the city of St. Louis and make things happen. Yep. Who knows? I, I I don't know if Super Bowls are that much of a, a, a deal breaker or not, but who maybe they did. Maybe they they would have played a factor and helped keep the Rams in St. Louis. I don't know. Um, but that's an interesting thought to ponder for sure. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about nine times, Ryan, in that 20-year stretch nine times when it was one team coming out of the AFC and that was the Patriots. Yeah. So many opportunities guys like Peyton Manning would have loved to have for his career and his legacy that didn't happen or that were crushed by Belichick and Brady. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just, Oh, like that just came to my mind when you mentioned like the Rams would, would have uh, probably have a Super Bowl title under their belt. And, and all that you, you, you just think about all the other opportunities that could have been for, for other guys and other teams. Yeah. And you can even bring up the other, the other Manning brother, Eli, he doesn't Eli. get, he doesn't get his two cracks at, at the Patriots. The first one uh, against the undefeated Patriots team in 07. I mean, that one just, I mean, who knows who he plays in that game instead. And it doesn't have as much meaning because the giants had lost to the Patriots on a, a a field goal at the buzzer in week 17. And then they were able to get revenge and, and the undefeated run for the Pats that, that game never happens probably. Or at at the very least, the, the, the gravity of that situation outside of being a Super Bowl game never happens. Who knows who the giants play instead of the Patriots that year. And then the 2010 rematch or 20, was it 2010 or 2012? It was twenty. It was the twenty eleven season. Yeah, uh, yeah. So twenty eleven. Yeah. Uh, that rematch between the Patriots and Giants in the Super Bowl doesn't have the implications that it has. It doesn't have the history that it has behind it. So there's just uh, yeah, it's it's painful to walk through. And yes, may, it means those two Super Bowl painful losses don't happen. But like we've been like we've been reiterating those seven those six Super Bowl wins in New England with Brady absolutely don't happen. Yeah. Oh, it's just so crazy to think about. Like, just basically half of that dynasty. I know I already mentioned it, but half of that dynasty essentially was spent in the most important game in sports, essentially in at least this country sports, the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just, it's just absurd. I don't think you'll ever see it again. And it, it, it takes, it takes again, I'll, I'll say it again, one more time, the stars sort of aligning for that kind of success. Like it's unparalleled. It, like it truly is. And, and the fact that they, you know, they still lost three Super Bowls and they, you know, still, um, you know, one six, it, it just, it, it speaks to, it speaks to just 
their level of dedication and what that franchise is. And I think they're still always going to be competitive, but who knows? Like, you know, it, is Belichick even still here if, if Bledsoe doesn't get injured? You know, does Belichick have that kind of tenure um, that he's had with this organization if Bledsoe never gets hurt? Because he definitely doesn't have the same amount of success. And that amount of success that he's had lends himself to where he is right now, where he's starting a rookie quarterback right now. And he still feels like he has a little bit of a, you know, uh, of a long, longer leash than most guys would because of that success. I don't even know if he's the Patriots head coach. Um, if, if Bledsoe never gets that, that, uh, that injury in a one. Yeah. That's another good kind of point to bring up because I mean, Belichick had bounced around uh, and he wasn't afraid to kind of move around between the Browns, the assistant with the jets. Uh, uh, he was under Bill Parcells with, was it the Jets or the Giants for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't afraid to bounce around opportunity to opportunity. So if he doesn't, if he doesn't win those championships in the early 2000s and create that pedigree and give himself all that leeway, maybe he, maybe in in the Patriots just continue on as like nothing more than a a good but not great team at the best. Yeah, Belichick's probably not here as long as he is, and he probably is out the door by the 2010s. Mm-hmm. And God knows where this organization goes from there, especially if we have still haven't won a Super Bowl. So uh, that that's that's another wild thought to think about. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've we've kind of spitballed on that one for long enough let's move on to our next one yeah which is what if the boston red sox in 2003 win game seven versus the new york yankees now boston had not won a championship at the time in 85 years they had posted above 500 win-loss records in six straight years but it only made the playoffs three of those six seasons the offense in the team win-loss record had been improving the past few seasons under Grady Little, who was in his second season at the time. Now, everyone remembers the infamous extra innings, bottom of the 11th, walk-off home run by Aaron Boone off of Tim Wakefield. Some people will forget the setup, which is uh, where Pedro at 118 pitches gets left in the game to try and close things out and go the distance. And he's unable to, and he ends up letting the Yankees back into the game, even though all the statistics said when Pedro gets over 105 pitches, his ERA triples. So it was kind of just Grady being stubborn and being like, this is our ace. This is our guy. I'm, I'm going to roll with him. I trust him to get the job done here, even though he's gassed. And that ultimately ended up being a decision that cost them because they had plenty of, of guys in the pen that they could have turned to. Um, Mike Timlin and Alan Embry, just to name a couple. Um, so if instead of getting walked off on by Aaron Boone, the bottom of the 11th, Let's say Grady Little makes a pitching change before 
The Yankees get back into this game. The bullpen holds the fort. The Red Sox win game seven in Yankee Stadium. They go on to play the Florida Marlins in the 2003 World Series. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tough. That's tough because I when I when I think of the Sox in 04, I think of how like the way they won that ALCS, you knew they were sweeping the Cardinals. Like you're like I, I like it was almost felt like a, a formality. And just because like you know, you're down 3-0, you come back, and then you know they're they're not going to lose to the Cardinals, but Oh three, they go up against a pretty, pretty freaking good Mar- Marlins team that obviously you ended up benefiting from um, <laughs> acquiring uh, Mike Lowell and Josh Beckett um, ultimately fr- from that team later on. But I don't know that you win that series. And like the team at the time w- was good. Like they had a really good team, but I feel like they would not have, like if they end up falling in the World Series after winning that ALCS, you know who knows if they are motivated enough to to make the moves that they did, right? To you know fire Grady Whittle, to bring in Terry Francona, to bring in guys like Kurt Schilling, um, and to really load up and to really make a huge statement and going after the Yankees. And I think a little bit of that could have felt relieved if they beat the Yankees in that ALCS in 03, even if they lose to the Marlins. I don't know that they become as as highly motivated as they did. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I almost feel like it would have been poor timing. Like, in hindsight, right, looking back on it, I would have loved if they won in 03 at the time when Aaron Boone hit that home run. He fucking ripped my heart out. The little kid, I woke up the next morning, threw on ESPN because I thought it was a damn dream. That man, if that doesn't happen, who I don't think they have four World Series titles to boot in this millennium. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of with you. I I honestly think that the the Marlins, that young upstart roster, they only had a 54 million dollar payroll that year. And they went on a massive run as the wild card winner in the National League. Uh, I I think the the Red Sox probably lose to that team, just because it it seemed like they the Marlins that year were a team of destiny. They went on and beat the Yankees four games to two, yep. and they trailed in every single series that they played. They trade in the they trailed in the divisional round series. They they. I think they dropped the first game and then won the last three. They were down uh, 2-1 to the Cubs or 3-1 to the Cubs. And in the NLCS, came all the way back. And then they dropped. They were down 2-1 to one to the Yankees and won three straight. So I, I just feel like that was those, – those were the comeback kids, the young upstarts, and they were on a mission. So I feel like even if Boston does win game seven of the 2003 ALCS, they still lose. They don't win the world series that year. But what that does mean is that Grady Little's contract probably gets renewed. 
they, they don't like you're saying they don't bring in Terry Francona. Maybe they still bring in the likes of Kurt Schilling and whatnot. But I think that the the 2004 championship run still it, it meets this a similar fate to what happened actually in 2003, which is some sort of sloppy decision making ends up costing the team, and they don't complete that that epic comeback against the Yankees. They probably still get to that series, but I don't think if they're down 3-0, I don't think they have that mantra, like you're saying, the cowboy up mantra, the it's us against them mentality, us against the world. And I I think they, they don't win it all that year. And then you get the Yankees playing in yet another world series going up against the Cardinals. And at that, and you just, it almost just sinks in like, this team is just never going to break the curse of the Bambino. They're just never going to get over the hump. They can't get past the Yankees. They're, who knows if they'll ever be able to get past them and the National League winner in the World Series if, if they ever get back to the World Series. And, yeah, you're right. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if 2004 championship run happens. And presumably 2007s and 2013 and years on, do not happen the way that they do. It almost could have flipped, right? I mean, in terms of the Yankees and the Sox, like the, the Red Sox have been the darlings of the 2000s in terms of winning. And the Yankees have gotten there. They've, they've won once. And after all that success in the 90s, they have not been the same. Um, and if you win that 03 ALCS and then lose that World Series and – you don't have your 04 moment. Yankees win a couple there or win whatever, maybe win an 04. And then that starts to build and whatever. Like, because at that time in 04, like, it was still five years prior to 09. And I know they didn't have all the guys they had um, on 04 on the 09 team, but they were still like, if they had won with that group, like A Rod, Jeter, like Matt Suey, that group, five like four or five years prior to 09, I think they end up putting up at least one more. And then we're talking about the Yankees having all this success um, in the 2000s and so forth, and the Red Sox still trying to scratch and claw just to get one. Um, and it's, it's crazy to think about it that way. It really is. Mm-hmm. Now uh- – you now let's talk about the flip side, which is obviously the 2004 run. The big moment in the 2004 championship run is the coming back in the ALCS down three games to none. So what if then the Red Sox, instead of making the reverse sweep in the ALCS and then going on to win it all, what if they lost one of those four games? What if they fell short? Yet again, 2003 happens the way it does, but then 2004, they fall short. The cowboy up, the, the idiots, they, they, don't, they don't make it happen, and the curse of the Bambino is still alive. I think it puts you or puts them in a spot where they, prob- they probably don't win that decade because I don't think – Oh, I don't think 07 happens if, if 04 doesn't happen. 
Because, yes, 07, you were a wagon, but you were a wagon in part to what you did in 04 and what that sort of turned guys like Big Poppy into and what they did with the roster overall and how they developed guys like Papelbon and so forth and bringing in guys like Beckett and uh, Mike Lowell was huge. Um, but they if they lose one of those four games in 04, yeah, I, I think it, again, the Yankees, I think they beat the Cardinals, although, you know, a good Cardinals team, but whoever was winning that ALCS in 04 was winning the World Series, like, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I just think it, it it furthers my thought of it flipping overall. The Yankees just having all this success because you give that team and that group a championship at that time in 04. Like, oh, I just think it would have done so much for, you know, that team, their confidence and their chemistry, you know, because I think – I think it, it hurt them in the long run that it took them until Oh nine, you know, after bringing in, you know, guys like a rod and Oh seven. Huh? Didn't they win it all in Oh seven, not Oh nine. Or am I, am I being stupid? So- Sox won in Oh seven against uh, the Rockies. Yeah. Okay. Yankees in Oh nine beat the Phillies. Oh, okay. I thought we were talking. All right. I'm stupid. Continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries, bro. I'm <laughs> So, like, my point is that, you, you know, if they have success, like, essentially a year after bringing in A-Rod, or, I'm sorry, the year they, br- they bring in A-Rod and, and all of a sudden they're, you know, they win in that first year, that I'm talking they're winning two to three at least. Because, again, I think it hurt them that it took them five, five years with that group ultimately to win a title. Because um, they, they haven't... They haven't won since, and I just think the success for both teams would have sort of flipped, um, yeah. which which sucks if, mm-hmm. if that happened. <laughs> now, I think the big takeaway from if 2003 happens the way it does, but 2004 doesn't happen the way it does, is uh, obviously I don't think Theo Epstein resigns in 2005 like he did. He had brought the championship to Boston. He, he ended the championship drought for the Red Sox. And then he steps away because he feels like he's done everything he could to bring that team back to, to full glory, so to speak. Obviously, Epstein comes back in 2007 and leads them, helps build that team and get them to where they win another championship. Uh, but if if 2004 doesn't happen the same way, Epstein doesn't leave. And he, which means he is working tirelessly to do whatever it takes to bring a championship to the Red Sox. So while I, I agree with you to some degree that the, the championship pedigree and, and, and the winning ways of, of the Yankees and Red Sox during that time period probably flips, I still think the Red Sox at some point get theirs. They get their moment just because Theo Epstein wasn't going anywhere until he got the job done. And we've seen him go to not only the Red Sox, but to the Cubs and end their historic championship drought. Yeah. So I think that if, if 2004 doesn't, doesn't 
end with a championship for the Red Sox at some point in, down the road. It does. And that then becomes their uh, thank the Lord. We finally won one moment. And maybe maybe 2007 is that year where they win it all and they get the monkey off their back. And then that kind of it, it's almost like you delay the events uh, that actually happened a couple of years because the Red Sox, let's say they, they won it in 06 or 07, whatever. That's their first championship in 89, 90 years. Yeah. Then to the, the, the actual 2007 kind of maybe that becomes 2010 or 2009. Maybe the Yankees don't get that championship in, in 2009 because the Red Sox are now kind of still hot off the press of winning that first championship in so long because it's not as far in the rearview mirror as it was at that time. Um, so I think that's probably what would have happened. But I just know that at the end of the day, even if they lose in 2004, I think that means Theo Epstein sticks around until he makes sure that the Red Sox get the job done. So I, I still think that the Red Sox would have eventually won it all one of those years. I just couldn't tell you which year it would have been. And I, I think that they ultimately still would have had a similar level of a success that they have had in the past 15 to 20 years. I just don't think it would have happened. Uh, I think it just would have been kind of delayed. I think it would have just kind of been like, a, oh, well, didn't happen as soon as it did. So now we'd be maybe 2018 happens like this year or something like that. Right. Who knows? Yeah. Oh. And like one last thing I'll add in there is like, you know, who knows like how that timeline of events just affects other big moments in the franchise, right? Like 2011, like that historic collapse, which resulted yeah. in the fallout of Theo for good. And then uh, Francona, like, I just wanted to th throw that in there as well. It's like just other big moments like that. Like that was, you know, that regime I feel like was cut short because of a really shitty September in a season where they were locked and loaded. But yeah, I digress. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to end it, I think. So let's move on to a basketball one. Okay. And this, this is not a, a New England one, but it could have – in terms of who we are talking about, it could have implications on the Celtics. So, Dan, what if LeBron James, during his The Decisions special on ESPN back in 2010, chooses to stay in Cleveland rather than leave his hometown team and go to play with his buddies, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, in Miami? The Celtics would have two titles for sure, at least. Wow. They would have won. I am firmly confident, firmly, firm, couldn't be more firm. 2011 is not a, is not a guarantee. 2012, they won. If LeBron doesn't turn into fucking Thanos, um, in game six and game seven of uh, the Eastern Conference Finals in 2012, then the Celtics have a last ride, essentially, you know, because the, uh, the, the run with uh, that group was 
coming to a close. I think they beat that Thunder team and a team that just was not ready. And they, they win at least one more, at least because that heat team blocked them for, you know, a good two to three years. They, they, they came so close to getting over the hump in 2012, man. So they were up three, two, man. They, they had it, they had it. And, but if LeBron doesn't go to, Cleveland, that, that I can tell you, the, Celt- the Celtics would have one more, even if Bosch, even if they still had Bosch, because there's probably a, a very strong chance that still would have happened, right? The Heat still would have been pretty good, but not not what they were with freaking LeBron. LeBron, people, I don't think, realize like just how dominant and how – like that was his prime right there, like his true prime – and where he was just felt like he was unstoppable, obviously 2011, not so much, but uh, just from the, the Celtics angle, I think you get at least one more title in there. So just to back it up a little bit and provide context, LeBron was coming off back-to-back MVP seasons at the time. He had led the Cavs to five straight playoff appearances, including their first NBA finals appearance in team history during the 06, 07 season. And they were, they were in the midst of back-to-back 60-win seasons. So the, LeBron and the Cavs were absolutely clicking. It's just they couldn't get over the hump and win the big one. Which, I mean, when you look at that team with the likes of uh, Zildrinus Ilgauskas, Anderson Varejao, like Mo uh, Williams, Mo Williams uh, and I think oh, they, they had Antoine Jameson at one point. We're sleeping on Wally Zerbiak, bro. All right. But that's that's the point, right? It had like a bunch of like solid good players but not necessarily great players. It was just LeBron carrying a team of a solid roster as far as he could on his back and shoulders. Yep. So, if LeBron stays in Cleveland, you don't get the roster turnover that you see uh, as quickly because of Cleveland instantly entering the rebuild post LeBron, which means uh, obviously the, the immediate is that Miami never gets its super team and they never make the four straight finals. They never, they never make those two. They never win the two championships that they do because Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, as great as they were as all-stars and in Dwayne Wade's case, maybe even Bosch's case, hall of fame talents, Two guys, those two weren't going to be enough to overcome the Celtics big three. Right. Um, But I think the long-term trickle-down effect is that the Cavs don't enter the rebuild, so they never get to draft Kyrie Irving or the players that they drafted to trade for Kevin Love, i.e. Andrew Wiggins, Anthony Bennett, etc. So if LeBron sticks around, they're always in the playoffs. They're always competing. They're always in that championship discussion. But who knows if they ever get the job done because LeBron then is playing with basically the same sort of roster where he doesn't really have a, a, a number a, a number two or a number three that's anywhere near his level. Maybe because uh, uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh had already given their commitments to Miami at yeah. that time. It, it was up to LeBron to decide whether he wanted to join them or not. So it, it, there was no bringing Dwayne Wade 
or Chris Bosch to Cleveland to play with him there. Uh, you could have traded for them towards the end. Like eventually uh, Dwayne Wade and teamed up with LeBron for like half a season before he got traded to Chicago or whatever it was. Um, but I, I don't know if LeBron ever gets that number two that's or or a number three that's anywhere near his his level. And I think he gets stagnant and the team just can never get over the hump. Maybe the, the team gets desperate and, and just blows up the roster and and goes into that sort of big three model. But I don't I, I don't know who they would have necessarily been able to go get at that time. Like that, that's the big three for LeBron almost seemingly felt like it was join Bosch and Wade in Miami or continue doing what you're doing in Cleveland. And that's, that's so I I just don't know if LeBron ever, I don't think he ever gets the the supporting cast to win it, win Cleveland, the championship. I don't think so either. I was trying to like think through the names and, who moved, you know, in the years, you know, following and, you know, like just trying to like think, I think the only chance he would have had in the, like the immediate future, if he could have convinced um, Carmelo to, to not want out for New York, but want out uh, and join in Cleveland and try to push a trade to Cleveland instead of New York. But Melo, is a New Yorker. That's his home. And I feel like that was sort of inevitable. It would have almost been like, well, LeBron come with New York to me. Like another one of those things where, you know, LeBron can't get anybody to join him in Cleveland. I think that kind of probably would have played out the same way, like where he just is sort of on an Island. And I don't know if they get over that hump. I, I, it's, it's, it's tough because even when he was – when he did win with Cleveland, like that was a really good team that yeah. that, that maybe could have won more if it weren't for injuries, uh, you know, like Kyrie and Kevin Love. Like LeBron in that first run against uh, Golden State averaged like 35, like 12 and 12, like just by himself. He got Matthew Delvadova, like a freaking flying squirrel all over the place on Steph Curry. Like – I think that that almost would have been like what we would have seen um, that that uh, injury plagued 2015 Cavs team where it was just LeBron. You got Matthew Delvadova. I think that's almost like a snapshot of like what it, what it would have been like sort of year to year where LeBron's just putting up godlike numbers and doesn't really have anybody to bounce off of and doesn't really have his Robin. So have you. And yeah, it just would have been like, this guy is insane. He's putting up the most insane numbers, but he can't win. Um, like he, he would have to get lucky like Giannis in a way with like other teams getting plagued. And then it just kind of happens to be, maybe you got a Chris Middleton or something that's just good enough, but yeah, it would have been a tough pull. Yeah. And I mean, if, if, if Cleveland doesn't enter the rebuild and they don't get Kyrie Irving, then where does Kyrie Irving actually go? Who was, right. who had the number two pick Minnesota. So presumably if Cleveland is in, a, if Cleveland's a playoff team, they're, they're getting uh, Minnesota. You, you just presumably, you just slide everyone up a spot depending on where the, the ping pong balls go. But 
I, I'd, I'd like to think that so in this scenario, Minnesota gets Kyrie Irving, which means they probably aren't doing all the ridiculous point guard drafting that they usually do. But then it goes to, does Kyrie Irving's career play out the same way it does? Obviously, the answer is no. But I, I think the real question in there is, does he develop the same way where he becomes an all-star point guard, the sickest handles in the game, and but he never gets to play with LeBron. And he never gets to have those playoff runs, presumably. Or at the very least, the deep playoff runs going into the finals, hitting game-winning shots to win championships. Uh, he never has that moment. And But on the flip side, does Minnesota then become a team where maybe they don't get cat? Uh, maybe they don't get the guys that they have currently instead they build around Kyrie Irving Minnesota probably turns into a playoff team at some point uh, eventually but considering that their current team has all the young talent that has developed the way it has and they still can't figure it out and win uh, and make it to the playoffs I I don't know maybe Kyrie Irving then becomes sort of the the Carl Anthony Towns where he's just, he's so dang good. He puts up all these numbers. He's an all-star, an all-NBA talent level, but he can't, he doesn't have the talent in the supporting cast to, to get the job done, and he's, he's never held in the same vein, the same regard that he is currently. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great, and that, and that shows you, like, how, what LeBron did and how much that affects, like, that move you know, not just the, the stuff we're talking about, but that move paved the way for, for so much in the league. Like, who knows how, how long it would have taken for other players to feel empowered to, to leave or to, to buddy up with, with somebody else or to play with who they want to and to try to make that a priority. Because, I, like, I know technically it started with the Celtics and the big three, but that was still ultimately a trade, albeit a fleeced trade. Um, like you get KG and Ray Allen with Pierce, but it's, that is not on the same level as Chris Bosch and LeBron signing in Miami in the same off season. And obviously the spectacle that it was and all the fallout from it. But I don't know, like, cause in the decades since the league has become such a player's league in that they they have as much control and movement as they ever have. And it's, I don't know that that's the same, or maybe it takes longer um, for that to happen the way it, it happens nowadays. Cause nowadays, like it's just, it, it happens every season. Like it almost feels like at least, I mean, guys move like very, very often and big names too. And that's become more and more prevalent ever since LeBron did make that decision. So if he doesn't, maybe that's something that just doesn't develop the same way it did. Yeah. And I think if he doesn't make that decision, kind of harping back to what you were saying earlier about the Celtics winning championships, oh. you brought up OKC and how their young roster wasn't ready. Well, if they're facing the Celtics, yeah, I'm guessing the Celtics would probably also have beaten that OKC team. But what if they didn't? then if, if OKC is instead able to win that year, 
then maybe that team starts to get that championship pedigree. James Harden, maybe he sticks around longer and just says, look, I don't need the max, but pay me as much as you possibly can, and let's keep this roster together so that we can win championships for years to come. I don't know if James Harden is that type of dude, but if they win a championship together, maybe that that makes the players think a little bit differently about how instead of how things turned out, which is James Harden getting traded because they didn't want, they decided to keep the likes of Serge Ibaka and they didn't want to pay him as uh, pay James the max to be more or less the first guy off the bench, even though he was more or less getting like starters minutes off the bench. Yeah. But it it always feels bad to be paying uh, somebody off the bench, like a max contract. Mm -hmm. Uh, But nevertheless, I think LeBron not going to Miami opens up a championship window for OKC, whereas in reality, they got their one crack at the Miami Heat super team and LeBron. They failed, and they never got to that stage again. And instead, what you get is the slow burn of the Oklahoma City Thunder where one superstar after another leaves the team and you're left with a total rebuild where they are pretty much today. Yep. And so that's that's just for me that's really interesting to consider is if they had won in uh what was it 2011 2012 2012, yep. Then maybe maybe that budding young but budding super team sticks around a lot longer than it did. And if it if that's the case, that's a team that could have been making finals runs year in and year out. And if they all, all they needed was one. Yep. And I just I feel like the way things played out, they just did, they were like, ah, we don't have the we, we couldn't get it done. We couldn't beat the best. We were not there yet. Then James Harden's like, well, we're not the best. I want to prove that I'm the best. And then it just goes from there. Yeah. So I, I wonder how that would have played. Not so much, not just as well, like as well with the Celtics, but I think it affects the Thunder just as much. I think you can make the case for both the Celtics and the Thunder that they could have won multiple championships during that time frame had Miami's super team with LeBron not existed. Absolutely. I, that, both of those I can definitely definitely get on board with. All right. So the next one, I think we got to dip into the world of hockey. And this is another one where Boston sports fans, it's pain to relive. But in the, oh God, was, this is 2013, I believe it was. The Bruins are in the Stanley Cup final against the Chicago Blackhawks. They had just beaten the Vancouver Canucks to win it all in 2011, two years prior. They're back in the cup finals against the Blackhawks playing at home game six. They're up two to one with like a minute 17 left in the game. And they give up two goals in 17 seconds to not only lose the game, but lose the series. Now, so so I guess the question is then, what if the Bruins had hung on to win in, 
game six and force a game seven. See, that's it's tough because like you think when you think of that series, all you can think about is two goals in 17 seconds. And like, if that doesn't happen in game six, like, I, I still don't think they win, man. Like I, I just think of that Blackhawks team and and what, what they were and what their three cup uh, run in the 2010s. Yeah. Like, that I just don't think that Blackhawks team was losing that series. And I know that's like that might sound just like easy to say, like, but I really do think that because that wasn't just like that wasn't just like the St. Louis Blues in 18 or like the, the Canucks in eleven or, or or whatever. Still good teams, but not historic. Like that Blackhawks group was h- historic. And I think that they were getting past you no no matter what. Um, but if you win game six, I still think they nip you in the butt game, game seven, because that's just how freaking good they were. And you, you Bruins were, were great that year too. And Tuka Rask, like coming into his own now, you know, holding down, you know, uh, the goaltending spot, starting goaltending spot two years after, you know, they have their historic cup run with, with Tim Thomas. It's his team now. And I just still think they lose ultimately. It's just that Blackhawks team was too too damn good. Yeah, I mean, it. so ultimately it would have forced the game seven, which yeah. as just about everyone knows, it's statistically a toss-up. Game six winners that force a game seven win just under half of the game sevens historically. And that's whether or not you include the time between 2013 up until now. It's pretty much the same. So anything could have happened. Yes, the Bruins would have had momentum going into game seven, but game seven is in Chicago. So again, I have no idea what would have happened in that scenario. So let's, let's, let's sort of talk about both scenarios. If the Bruins win game seven, that gives them two Stanley Cups in three years. That potentially kickstarts a dynasty for them instead oh, yeah. of Chicago. And that probably leads to the Bruins making several deep runs in the mid-2010s rather than falling into the mediocrity that they did in the mid-2010s where they were kind of like a a 500-ish hockey club. Instead, they're making deep playoff wins. They're they're in the conversation for the President's Trophy uh, for year in and year out, which they were in the conversation every year every here and there during that time period, but they don't fall back into mediocrity after that Stanley cup loss. Uh, So I think if they had found a way to win game seven, that sets up a a boom period for the Bruins where they are not just a, a really good team. They're a great team and they're starting to look like a team like the early 2000s, New England Patriots where they are putting together championship runs year after year. Um, however, if they lose game seven, I don't really think much changes. Um, so I, I think you kind of get what, what actually happened in history is probably what you get. Uh, I, but I think one of the other big things that a, a game seven win 
would have for the Bruins is that Claude Julian probably gets more leeway as head coach with the team. And he doesn't get fired midseason the way he did uh, a handful of years ago back in, what was it, 2017, something like that. Which means no Bruce Cassidy. And Bruce Cassidy was like a breath of fresh air for the organization. He invigorated the team. And he's constantly had the team in the playoff discussion. And I I don't know. I don't know if I want to say constantly in the championship discussion, but he's had them with those aspirations as a consistent playoff team year in and year out. So I, I, I don't think so a game seven loss, I don't think much changes, but if you win that game seven, if you force that game seven and you win it, I think that changes things drastically because instead of a Chicago dynasty in the 2010s, you, you probably see a Boston Bruins dynasty in that 2010s. And then maybe you see a lot more Boston Bruins fan support and the Bruins become like that number two team in, in the city rather than the Red Sox. I, I, I don't know. It, it would have helped. It, it would have helped major because the Bruins, when the Bruins are good, like the city gets behind them. Like, uh, like, like any other uh, team in the city, like they get behind teams that win. That is what Boston does. Like simply, if we've learned anything in the last 20 years, that's what they do. And if they win that as well, who knows? Maybe they disrupt the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and their back-to-back cups. Exactly. Here, um, in the the teens of the 2010s as well, because you, you're it just instantly changes like the landscape, like certain moves they made um, and, and guys that end up leaving. Like I know Sagan, you know, like that was like it was a lot of off the ice stuff with him, but like, I don't know, like you, you got two cups and you got that guy still, and you don't make that trade. Maybe who knows? Cause that's still, it's like, you got a group that wins two cups, essentially, you know, I'll be a different goaltender, but your franchise goaltender now, and you have a great group. I mean, you do every, everything to keep that group together. You make moves like trading, your former uh, top first round pick, your, you know, stud forward that is supposed to be one of your franchise cornerstones for the next, you know, decade. Maybe they don't make that trade with uh, the Dallas stars um, because when you fail like that, you, you make adjustments, things change. And that's certainly something that I comes to mind as well. Yeah. I think one other big takeaway that I can kind of think of is the confidence of Tuka Rask in the playoffs. I feel like that moment in time, I don't want to say completely shattered it, but, I mean, that's just a tough pill to swallow. It's something that's tough to come back from. I'm not saying it was entirely his fault, uh, but he's at the end of the day, he was still the goalie in that moment. And the Bruins haven't won a championship since, and a lot of people feel like he is a playoff choker. Like, he puts up good numbers, like, even great numbers in the postseason. But when push comes to shove and you need him to stand on his feet and and make and come up big when it's all on the line, he kind of flakes for a, more often than not. Maybe that's that's not fair of me to say, but it that's just 
seems to be what it feels like it has happened since that moment in time. And if, if they win that instead and he becomes a, a Stanley Cup champion that qu- quickly in his career, maybe he's not known as more of a, a big moment choker. And he's known as a champion, a big time performer, clutch time, like absolute stud. You got to think too, like, I think a foreshadowing moment, and I'll tell you how I'm going to tie this in, uh, like almost like a foreshadowing moment was like three years prior when he was the goalie for that uh, 2010 series against the Philadelphia Flyers where the Bruins are up 3-0 and they blow a 3-0 lead. They pulled a Yankees. They blew a 3-0 series lead. Not only that, they were up three goals in game seven, if I, I do recall correctly because that was one of the epic collapses you could ever see in, in the playoffs and Tuka Rask was at the helm of that Boston Bruins team and if they win in 2013 maybe that heals some of those wounds or at least you know sort of cancels them out but then 2013 happens I almost think it's like a cementing of of his playoff like yips or whatever, like shortcomings, but he can get you there. He can certainly get you there. He just can't quite put it all together at the end of the day. And I think that 2010 collapse was almost like a foreshadowing of like the 2013, you know, two goals, 17 seconds, whatever. And then that moment or that game six sort of like cemented his playoff identity in a way that like he just, he is prone to collapse and yeah, I just think that that's always there with him. It, it, it's always been there with him, you know, ever since. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're going to take a break from the, the, the professional sports world. We're going to talk about our little bubble of backyard sports in our neighborhood leagues. So we're going to do a couple of what ifs for our WBL and our FBL, so our Wiffle Ball League and Football League. So my first one to you is this, Dan. What if in the 2020 WBL championship series, instead of Miller hitting a walk-off home run to force a a winner-take-all game five, he flies out or he strikes out? What happens? What if Miller gets out? And the snowflakes win the title. So if the snowflakes win that title, I think, I mean, I don't want to be like, it. it's tough. Cause like, there's so much that happens like in between, but I almost think that they don't choke against uh, the Beanfield bums the following year. And I know that's kind of, Uh, a macro view of it but I mean they arguably should have won that series against you guys the Hanks and they very very much arguably should have finished off the Beanfield bums who they were up uh they got reverse swept in a best of five series so that's I that's just what comes to my mind immediately because they've been uh, in the WBL, they've been the only team to uh, 
make back-to-back championship appearances and they've lost both of them. And it's not due to like talent. I I just think like there's a level of, of like wiffle ball can just be one of those sports too, where like anything can happen And Miller. Hey, Miller's come up clutch a lot. He's come up clutch in uh, the, the Rockland day tournament. I believe he came up pretty huge in uh, the most recent Rockland tournament as well. And he just, I feel like in big spots, Miller shows up. And if, if he doesn't hit that home run, maybe he's not as highly, uh, you know, regarded as a maybe potential captain to lead the Hanks. Um, Cause I, I, I don't know. I think moments like that really solidify you as like, as what kind of player you are. And if Miller just flies out there and the snowflakes win, you know, his sort of, echelon and the WBL sort of maybe, you know, is just altered a little bit. Yeah. So obviously starting off the snowflakes win the title, they're the top seed. So that takes away a little of the history with the bums where, when you guys won the championship, you were the top seed and became the first team to do that. Um, But yeah, I think the obvious one here is I, if the snowflakes win in 2020, I don't think, they experienced deja vu in the 2020 championship. I, I don't think they cave in in game five, if it even gets to that. Cause I mean, I obviously wasn't there, but watching the game field, they absolutely packed it in, in game five, as soon as they got down and just knew that they were toast. Uh, so I think they potentially, if they win in 2020, they, they should, they take care of business in 2021 and they go and they go back to back as league champions and be, and remain the only team to win uh, the WBL championship in the team format. I also think another kind of lesser thing that comes out of it is the uh, infamous Zach bias that we've all come to know and either love or hate that goes absolutely through the roof. If he wins <laughs> a second or a third straight WBL title because, and we'll get into this scenario a little bit later. We'll right before the WBL switched to the team format, we finished off the captains format era and who won in the final captains format championship tournament. Zach. Yeah. Yeah. To my my dismay. Of course. Uh, We won't talk about who he beat, but uh, he, he's coming off and Zach is, he's coming off a, a captain's championship, the last ever at the time. And if he wins the team format in 2020 as well, most, like I said, most likely he then wins it in 2021. And then he's been a, a three straight WBL championships. People are going to, would be, people in the league would be so sick of that. Yeah. They would be so jealous. They'd be so upset. They'd be so sick of him winning because let's, let's face it. He's the most decorated captain in the WBL's league history. Having won the WBL championship as a captain four times, including a three peat. So if he then goes to the team format and, and cements himself there, as a back-to-back champion and the only uh, league person to do that, then, oh, then, then he's the GOAT. 
then there's absolutely no question about it. Uh, and then everyone is just chasing him, and the Zach bias just goes through the freaking roof. Um, yeah, he, but, he he'd be the Michael Jordan of the fucking WBL. Yeah, I mean, maybe that you can still make sort of that argument even today with how things actually played out. But I mean, he's with him losing both matchups in the team format and especially the way that it happened just one absolute choke job in 2021 and then another sort of similar choke job in 2020 i it it puts a little bit of a stain on it he's still regarded as one of the best if not the best in our league history but i think if he wins those championships, because if I think he, I really do believe if he wins in 2020, he wins it again with the snowflakes in 2021. Yeah. Then he is regarded as the best of all time in our league without a fa- without a shadow of a doubt. And I think the the whole redraft, it, it probably isn't inevitable because of, of league commitments and player availabilities and whatnot. But I, I almost wonder if Zach's strategy in the redraft changes to where he's attempting to bring back as many players from his roster as possible rather than shake things up and just kind of alter his strategy. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he probably looks to bring back the same squad because, like, Losing twice like that, it's just like you, you got to mix it up at, at that point, you know? Yeah, you got to see if this is just a, a him and a snowflakes thing or if it's like, was it the team that he constructed or was it just he, he just doesn't have – he just got a monkey on his back that he can't get off in terms of the team format. So yeah. couldn't bl- can't uh, blame him for, for that. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're ever going to find out that – at least in the near future. Now let's switch over to the FBL. And this is a very recent one, but one that has, that had obviously big implications. And I think it's pretty obvious what would have happened if this didn't happen, but I still want to talk about it nonetheless. So what if I didn't leave in the middle of the 2020, 21 FBL season to pursue my my career path halfway across the country in the middle of Arkansas. <laughs> what if instead I didn't get that job offer or I didn't uh, never saw that job opportunity and instead I'm still kicking the rocks doing what I'm doing and I stick around for the entire FBL season. What do you think happens, Dan? <sighs> I think we both know what happens. I uh, I think you end up winning that FBL title because the time away from your team, ultimately, like, it was just a lot of time because, right, we didn't end up playing the championship until January? February. Feb- February. Mid-February. That's, oh, that's, right. that's right. So we're talking about a good, you know, like three months of, you know, no playing for you. And then you come back for that championship and it's like, 
or, you know, for that, you know, playoff weekend and you got to do everything you can, but at the same time you haven't like the chemistry just naturally between, uh, you know, quarterback and wide receiver is going to go down. And I think we saw that like a lot of struggles that Matt Cunningham, you know, dealt with when he didn't have you. Yeah. And, but I, so just to set the table on this one, when I had left after week four of the FBL season, my team, the Naughty Naughty Worlds were six and two first place with a plus six differential. The Crackers X were four and four with a plus one differential. And the practice squad, or I think they were known as the bum flakes at the time, were, <laughs> yeah, were so. two and six with a negative seven differential. So the way things were going were that, yes, the Narwhals had quarterbacking issues. It, it was a very inconsistent play, to say the least. But we were making it work one way or the other and finding ways to win. It wasn't, we weren't blowing anyone out, but we were finding ways to win games most of the time. So I think the big takeaway here is if I stay, the Naughty Narwhals are easily in the FBL championship game against the Crackers X because I, I, I mean, that's almost half the season right there in context. And I don't see any reason for why those kind of standings would have changed. Maybe the crackers acts end up winning a couple more games and they post an above 500 record like they ultimately did. But I don't think you obviously don't see the collapse of the Nardi Narwhals where they went three and nine down the stretch and ended up in a tie with the practice squad and lost because of the, the score differential tiebreaker. So you get a naughty narwhal team that has still has me and has an entire year together. No, you're not bringing in the Johnny Kumos or uh, whatever that other guy's name is that I literally can't even remember. Uh, but oh, it, began, it began with an H. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even remember his name, to be honest with you. Uh, but you don't bring in these Matt Cunningham desperation pleas to try and replace me. You, you're, you're working with the crew that we had, which was myself, Matt Cunningham at cornerback, Paul Bulldog, Mike Ayula, and oh no, I'm doing someone dirty here. Who am I forgetting, Dan? Wait. You, Mike, Matt, and Paul, and uh Oh no. This is bad. Oh shit. <laughs> this is not good, Dan. This is no, bad. It's no, it's not. Yeah, it was it was you, Paul, uh, Matt, Matty Ice, uh Lil Mike, and uh Oh no. We're gonna get yelled at for this. Yeah, this is this is tough, dude. Uh, I, I don't remember who our fifth was, to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, was- the point is, we had a solid core with those four. And <laughs> if we had an entire year to to keep work out all the kinks, and because at the time we had a, a, a about a ten play 
play sheet to kind of pick and choose from if need be. Those plays were worked a lot. The wide receivers were running the plays very well, getting themselves open. There was just a lack of QB execution from time to time. Um, but if we had the entire season to work out those kinks and potentially get those work straightened out, yeah, maybe we do win the league championship. But I ultimately, I don't think we do. I just think that we would have given the Crackers Axe a much more hard, uh, a more difficult challenge in the FBL championship game. But yeah. you have to remember that the the Crackers Axe just posed matchup issues across the board. Well, and, once they got DR, they're fucking loaded. Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe that trade doesn't happen. But I maybe. think even if I stick around, I think that trade still happens where uh, you and uh, you and Miller get traded to the practice squad for DR and Joey. I think I still think that trade happens even regardless of whether I stay or go. Yeah. So you're left with a cracker, uh, a crackers act team with Zach at quarterback. And then he's got a six foot four or six foot five DJ Brown. He's got a six foot five Brendan Connolly. He's got a, a, a very good slot receiver in Dan Roach. And then he's got kind of like a project development in Joey, who's a good athlete, but offense is obviously very much a work in progress. But he had all the tools at his disposal. And you saw once I left, there was no stopping that team. And they're like the 2013 Broncos. Yeah. Like they finished, I think it was what, 12 and 12 and eight or. 13 and seven, some, somewhere around there. Like once, once I left town, they were dominant, absolutely cooking. Uh, so I think in the end, the, I think that the, the crackers act still win that championship because they just pose so many matchup problems across the board uh, for either team, either the naughty narwhals or the practice squad. But I think we, probably still get the first seed and we make the, the championship game against the Crackers Axe. But I think the Crackers Axe still ultimately win it all just because that trade that, uh, that Zach made just put his team over the top. And that's no disrespect to Miller. It's just the fact that his play kind of tapered off due to him just getting banged up and, and whatnot. He just wasn't the same player that he had been with Zach as quarter, his quarterback once Nick slash you became his quarterback and maybe that's, I don't know if that's just Zach is that good of a quarterback where he makes players around him, or if that just speaks to the the practice squad, just not being able to, to really figure things out on their end. Yeah. I think you can argue, make both cases. So yeah, combination is probably the best. Um, the other thing that I, th- I I ponder is, so Zach wins the MVP award that he ended up winning the, the MVP award, and I think it was fairly unanimous. I think there wasn't a heck of a lot of, if I remember correctly, it, it wasn't all that close. Nick and Marcus probably got some votes, but that was about it. Yeah. 
So if I stay, I was on pace to lead the league in receiving touchdowns yet again, despite inconsistent quarterback play. Yeah. Marcus, Marcus was going to kill me in receptions because Nick kept abusing him. I, mean, yeah. I, under, I understand that's what he had to do. To, to, that's, that's what they did. But I just wonder if I had stayed, would I have given Zach a run for his money in the MVP race? Because I, I was coming off of an MVP season. And it was a fairly unanimous MVP season. And then not only that, but then Nick had just was ended up winning his first defensive player of the year award in the 2020, 21 season. And I was coming off of two straight depoy years. So if I stick around, does Nick get that chance? What, what do you think about either of those? Yeah, I, Probably, uh, maybe. maybe, I mean, maybe, I I just think no matter what, like defensively, I, I think Nick was going to have the year he had regardless um, for the most part, right? Because like when the practice squad uh, played you guys, the, uh, the Narwhals, you know, largely Marcus is covering you. So it's not like like Nick wasn't going to be hampered there, but um, yeah. And then offensively, I think you know, like Nick, you know, I dipped my toe in quarterback a little bit, but ultimately Nick had to be that guy. Um, and things would have been harder for sure when you know we probably you know probably we definitely don't make the playoffs, uh, the practice squad if you never uh, leave because there's no shot that the practice squad makes that run. I feel like with a fully, you know, full strength Narwhals team um, and with Nick having to play quarterback, you know, it's just hampered, you know, the, the team isn't at their fullest potential. If you have a competent quarterback um, and then you can put Nick in the, you know, receiving core as well, then you have a really good team. But we didn't have that. I could not perform to that level. And uh, but Nick, I think uh, offensively, I think he has a harder time against the Narwhals because you know it was really just one like defensively. I, I I think the the Crackers acts were really really good, right? Just because you they're all tall. You know, and Zach can pick his his spots at, you know, rushing the quarterback or playing safety. And then you just got trees all around, just good athletes and trees. Um, but you had a softer landing with the narwhals once once you left. Uh, it, just at least for, for Nick playing quarterback, a much easier time than versus the Cracker Zach's. If you stay, things get dicier, you know, that matchup just becomes that much harder, harder for for Nick you know, offensively and just for the team in general. Yeah. Uh, so I, I couldn't, I, I still am trying to figure out who the hell our fifth person was. I think the reason we can't think about it. Oh, it was a uh, Hindu. Hindu. We're right. Uh, but I don't think he ever really played much at all. I'm yeah, like, he, he, he played like once or twice. 
Yeah. And then it ended up being uh, this Aiden fella. And it just, and all the replacements just kind of spiraled out of control from there. Um, yeah. But I think in terms of the awards, I think you're spot on with Nick. He, he was on a great pace in terms of he, he jumped out to the INT lead very yeah. quickly. Uh, he was play, He played a mix of, of corner and safety, and I feel like he utilized himself on the defensive end about as well as he could have as the captain of that team. And it resulted in him putting up career numbers in terms of INTs and whatnot. Um, everyone remembers the days where Nick used to just be the, the person that would just sit in front of the quarterback, rush the quarterback, and, and just wave his arms up get some pass deflections and sacks that that was his role. And now he's evolved into someone that maybe he isn't a lockdown corner, but in spots he can be. And as a safety, he knows what he's doing. He he can play basically anywhere on the field, whether it's, it's rushing the quarterback covering in uh, as a corner playing, dropping back as a safety Etc. And I think that season proved it. So I, I, and, and in terms of me, I didn't, I never had an interception. Now, part of that, and this is kind of a, a humble brag, not going to lie, it, is that because nobody was throwing at me. And if they did, it was rare. I'm not saying I never got beat because I definitely got beat from time to time. Marcus's numbers would have taken a hit for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I ran, I was running numbers. Before I left, doing like comparisons of like, oh, this me covering this person as opposed to anyone else covering that person. And the amount of times that they got targeted just dropped off significantly. So, yeah, I was playing better defense in terms of, but I, I didn't have the stats to reflect it. And this is in our league, it's a stat driven league. Uh, most of the people look to the stats to see who's playing well and who's not. So, the smarter players, We'll, we'll use the eye test as well, and they'll understand, like, oh, why isn't he putting up those stats? Oh, yeah. But not everyone does that. So I think Nick, at the end, is going to win Depoy that, uh, last year or this past season, no matter what, because he just excelled defensively across the board in all roles that he played. And- I think that- I just wanted to say, you got to think too, the more he played quarterback too, the more, you know, energy he had to expend on defense. This is true. Um, I think that the, the more interesting toss up is the MVP discussion. Uh, because if, 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 if I stick around, maybe I don't have necessarily the crazy stats to verify that I'm MVP. But if I am able to keep the naughty, help keep the naughty narwhals in the spot that they were, which is first place and a couple games ahead of, of the next team, it becomes a harder argument to then put Zach, make Zach the MVP when he wasn't even the, the best player on the best team. Right. Right. Uh, it, it, it at least introduces uh, uh, um, um, the word is on the tip of my tongue. Can't get it, but it becomes it becomes a conundrum of sorts. Where do you go with the guy that is 
is the reason why the team is succeeding as well as they are, even if his stats aren't crazy good because the quarterback plays is inconsistent from time to time? Or do you go with a guy who is, I mean, let's just face it, he's QB1 in our league, and yeah. he, but he has all these weapons at his disposal. So he puts up these flashy, insanely good numbers, easily showcases that he, he is the best at what he does, also puts forth a solid season as safety in terms of INT yeah. numbers. You would never find him covering anyone man to man unless he was giving someone a breather or covering or trying to do a matchup that played into his favor. But he, I mean, for what the role that he played on defense, he, he did a very solid job of it. Um, so he had the flashy numbers, but if he doesn't have the team success that he ended up having, does he still win MVP? Right. That is the question that I would ponder. And I, I'm not so sure. I think it would have been a toss up. And I think you ultimately probably get maybe a, even a similar result as to the 20, uh, 2018, 2019 season where me and Zach were co MVPs. Yeah. I think it, it comes down to the wire that close in terms of the voting. Uh, so that, that, that one would be a toss up for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just, it becomes a, a conversation that, that MVP, it just becomes a real debate. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's going to do it for Dan Sadik. I am Ryan Brown. We will see you next time.